What's good, everybody? Welcome in to the first ever edition of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Gistremski. And listen, it is crazy that my nine years in terrestrial radio have come to an end and I have come to the dark side. I have come to the podcast world. And basically what we're going to do on this podcast is a lot of the same stuff that you've heard from me over the last nine years. We're going to talk New York sports. We got you covered on that. Of course, there's going to be some gambling elements involved. But remember, listener interaction, it's a huge deal. It will be a huge deal, a part of every single show that we do where we have voicemails, where we have some fun, and I'm yelling and screaming at you, and you guys might be yelling and screaming at me. So you can count on that. And listen, I know a lot of people listening are probably wondering, what is JJ going to leave with? Well, it's an easy call. We got a lot to get to. But that national championship game on Saturday night was as good a game as I've seen since COVID. And I think it's the best NCAA tournament game I have ever seen. We got you covered on that. We got the opening weekend of baseball, at least for one of the teams. Not so good for the Yankees. The great CC Sabathia, the future Hall of Famer and the host of R2C2 is going to join us. Plus, we got your voicemails. And we have Jared Smith over at SportsGrid to help us handicap the national championship game. Stay tuned. New York, New York. With me, JJ. It's coming up next. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, Start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem. Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All righty, let's roll, baby. It is the first ever edition of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer, the Ringer Podcast Network. You can find us on Spotify, and I am just raring to go, chomping at the bit, because this is our first ever episode, and I feel like we have the world as our oyster. And look, normally I'm going to come on these particular shows, and I would be starting right out of the gate with what was a brutal weekend for the New York Yankees against the Toronto Blue Jays, but... That's coming after we get to what was, in my opinion, and I hate to be the guy, folks. I hate to be the guy who is the prisoner of a moment because nobody wants to be the prisoner of the moment when you're sitting down and watching Saturday night's Final Four. But I'm going to say it. The game between UCLA and Gonzaga ending with the crazy, chaotic, buzzer-beater, half-court heave from Jalen Suggs It is the best NCAA tournament game I've ever watched. I gave it 24 hours. I slept on it. It is the best NCAA tournament game I've ever watched. Because listen, you had it all. You had it all. You had a UCLA team as an 11 seed. Scratching and clawing. Busting their ass. Playing this sort of high-level offense that I didn't think they had in them. They played any other team in the country. They're winning on Saturday night, but it speaks to Gonzaga. And that, to me, is what made this game so great. So listen, I didn't get a chance to really enjoy and experience Christian Leitner and the shot against Kentucky. I was, what, four years old 
1992. Now, is that the six-overtime game? But that's a Big East tournament game. It's different. The Villanova-Carolina game was probably number one on my list with Paige hitting that crazy shot. And then, of course, Jenkins from the past with Archie Diacono banging the shot, winning it, walking it off, the whole deal. Here's why this game is better. This game is better because guess what? It was wire to wire throughout. That Nova Carolina game, different deal. It was a different deal because Nova was up big. Carolina came storming back. Not this game. It was an absolute classic. And now that it's 24 hours removed, the undefeated team, Mark Few, Gonzaga trying to win their first ever national championship, trying to be the first team since 76 and Bob Knight to go wire to wire undefeated. For them to win in that fashion, with UCLA being the Cinderella, it's the best sporting event I've seen, folks, post-COVID. We all needed it. And listen, I know if you listen to me for years on FAN, I am a college hoops junkie. I, I, I live it. I breathe it. I can't get enough of this shit this time of the year. Can't get enough. I'm still buzzing over that game. Still buzzing. And it now sets the stage for what is going to be a badass national championship game with Gonzaga and Baylor. Let's be honest. This is a game everybody wanted to see in college basketball all year. So that is going to be a ton of fun to watch Monday night. Now, Yankees' first weekend of the year. And thankfully, there was baseball for at least one of the New York teams. Although, you know, with the Yankees and the way they swung the bats this weekend, folks, I got to be honest, I, I, I think I would have preferred they didn't play until Monday. I think that might have been better off. Because the Yankee bats against Toronto pitching look pathetic. Now, it's three games. Are we going to go, you know, jump out of my apartment? Are we going to go leap from the Verrazano because the Yankees now have lost two out of three to Toronto? Of course not. The problem I have is that this weekend, I hope it's not like a microcosm of what's to come all season. And more specifically, in the postseason, not hitting with runners in scoring position, striking out a ton, not being able to get the big hit. Because guess what? That's how you lose in the month of October. And that's what the Yankees have done way too consistently over the last four years. They got a team, folks, that's built for the regular season. They're going to score a ton of runs. They're going to bludgeon third, fourth, and fifth starters. They didn't do it this weekend. They're going to hit this year. But when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, you need a big hit. You need a big home run. You need a big RBI hit, runners in scoring position, a whole deal. Can I count on this lineup to do so with the way they're built? I have questions. I have questions. You saw that Thursday in the opener? Judge, bases loaded, one out, grounds into a double play. Ninth inning, you got a runner on third with less than two outs, and Mayu and Judge can't get the job done. And then Sunday's game, I mean, you hold Toronto to three runs over nine innings, you got to win that game. There's just no other way around it. You've got to win that game when your pitching staff, and I know Herman gave up a couple of bombs. It wasn't great. King was fabulous. He gave him six shutout innings out of the bullpen. And the amazing thing is King's probably going to get screwed because, you know, you need arms, you need bodies. Nobody's arm and conditioning is going to be built up to where it needs to be because these guys are coming off that Fugazi 60-game season. So watch, Michael King will probably get the reward. Hey, kid, six shutout innings. Your ass is going down to the alternate site. Not ideal, but Yankees will be fine. I'm concerned bigger picture and the way this team is built. Are they a team that is built for the regular season? And are they a team that's not going to be built for October? I think it's a fair, legitimate, and reasonable question to have about the Yankees all spring, all summer, and all autumn long. It's going to be fun. They'll play the Orioles this week, although, listen, I don't think Simmons is particularly happy about his Red Sox overbet, by the way. I mean, three losses to the Orioles right out of the gate. Ooh, not ideal. Not ideal. I, I would have booked that one, but, you know, I, I think Bill's limit is a little out of my price range. Just saying. I think it's a little out of my price range. 
So it could be worse. You could have the weekend that the Boston Red Sox did. Good news for the Yankees. Sanchez looked great. Is it bad on Friday or Thursday with the home run? Pimping it. Tremendous. Saturday hitting another home run. Really encouraging signs. Gary Sanchez needed to get off to a good start. Because last year was such an abomination. You go five for 50 in those first 50 at-bats, I don't care if there's five or 10,000 at Yankee Stadium. They're going to be booing your ass till you know, the cows come home. Sanchez needed a fast start. So I'm very encouraged by that. A little concerned about Gleyber Torres' defense and shortstop, though. And that's going to be another one of these overarching questions to watch and to monitor as this season goes along. We all love G-Baby. Guy is a terrific talent. We know what he can do on offense. And this is something the Yankees got to correct, by the way. The idea Aaron Hicks in the three spot is a joke. It's a joke. I'm not one of these guys that drools advanced stats and sabermetrics because I think all these sports, for that matter, there's got to be a heartbeat. They can't just look at the numbers and say, oh, that's the way it's going to be. No, 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 no. These guys are human beings. So that element needs to be a part of, you know, the thought process and the rationale. But this is where advanced stats and yours truly get along. We're on, we're on the same page with the fact that, hey, guess what? Your best hitters should hit at the top of the order. Not rocket science. I'm writing a lineup. My best three guys are hitting one, two, and three. That means LeMayu. That means Judge. And that means Torres. I don't want to hear about lefty-righty bullshit because that's exactly what it is. Bullshit. Best hitters. Top of the order. That's what I want to see. From a Mets standpoint, I feel your pain, folks. Now, I'll tell you this. I did R2C2. There we go. I struggle to say it. But, you know, with all these podcast names, it's like impossible to keep track. And that's the beauty of the ringer, man. It's like this, this phenomenon. It's like powerhouse. I mean, by the time we get through, I don't know, podcast 10 or 11, hopefully I'll have every podcast name down to a science. Maybe uh, Sarudi and company can quiz me. We'll work on that. But in doing R2C2 with Lindor the other day, Getting that monster deal from the Mets, it's going to be worth every penny. And the Mets had to give it to him. I mean, you made the trade with the Cleveland Indians. He's, what, 27 years old? The guy does everything. He's a great defender. He's a great hitter. He's a leader. He's charismatic. What, are you not going to pay him? Yeah, I wouldn't have given him 12 years either, but 10 years, 300 plus $40 million? It's going right. And at least he doesn't have that bullseye on his back right out of the gate, right out of the start of this year. So think about our Monday, folks. Just, just let this sink in for a minute. This is our Monday. This is how you start a podcast, my friends, with a bang. National championship game. Mets opening night in Philadelphia. Yankees playing the red-hot 3-0 Baltimore Orioles. And you got the Knicks and the Nets. See, normally I got my three screens set up, and I'm Gucci, baby. I'm good. I got some on the big screen. Like, the Yankees will probably be on the big screen, and then we'll transition to the national title game. And I'd be like, all right, I'll go, boom, title game, then Yankees, then Mets. Now I got to work Knicks-Nets? What am I going to do? Am I going to be pulling out multiple laptops, iPads? It's going to remind me of a football Sunday. I mean, I make it like it's, you know, a good old-fashioned sports book in a one-bedroom apartment. And I'm actually getting married uh, at some point, believe it or not. You would think with that sort of setup that you'd be bound to be single for the rest of your life. But hey, when there's a will, there's a way. You know what I mean, ladies and gentlemen? When there's a will, there's a way. I'm so fired up to get this podcast started. We'll have a pick on a national championship game. We'll get some listener voicemails worked into the equation, which I am amped for. You guys getting involved? People keep asking me, now that I've made the switch from terrestrial radio to the ringer here, they're like, is the listener interaction going to be a big part of this show? I'm like, you fucking kidding me? See, I can curse now. This is kind of nice. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to do it often, but it's kind of nice that I can throw in an F-bomb every now and again. I got to worry about getting reported by the FCC. Of course, they're going to have listener interaction because that's what we do. That's how I roll. I need y'all to kind of feed off of. So we'll hear from you. But coming up next, 
a future Hall of Famer and the host of R2C2, CC Sabathia, right here on New York, New York. Welcome back. First ever edition of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer and the Spotify Podcast Network. And, you know, we had to come out guns a blazing with the first guest. So we got to welcome in a guy who's Yankee royalty and now is like a part of the New York fabric in more ways than one. CC Sabathia. What's up, big fella? How you doing, man? Happy Easter. Happy Easter, man. What's going on? CC, listen, it's great having you on. And let's start here, bro. For a guy who played all those years in Cleveland, you have that incredible run in Milwaukee, man. You pitch it on three days rest. Your arm basically falls off. You will your team to the playoffs. Did you ever imagine that you'd come to New York and basically embrace the city, the people, the lifestyle? Like, dude, you are Mr. New York right now. <laughs> nah, that was the plan. You know, um, going into free agency, you know, me and my wife, um, had talked about wherever we, um, wherever we signed is where we wanted to kind of, you know, put our roots down. And, and, uh, you know, we had three young kids at the time, um, when we came to New York and, and, you know, we just wanted to, you know, just become a part of, of the city and the culture. And, um, you know, it's been great. It's worked out awesome. Um, you know, we've been done a bunch of stuff with our charity, you know, it's connected to the Bronx. Um, so it's, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a great, um, 13 years now I've been living here. Um, uh, you know, so it's, it's been awesome. And, you know, signing here as a free agent, you never know what's going to happen. Um, but you know, getting a chance to be here and then sign a couple extensions and then, you know, be here at post career. Um, it's a lot of fun for sure. CC, take me through though, free agency. So you're going through the process, obviously, you know, financial security, having a long-term contract, all that stuff, your family, it's going to come into play. Was there one deciding factor, though, in New York that kind of pushed it over the top? Was it an individual? Was it Brian Cashman? Like, what was the deciding factor for you where you and your wife were like, all right, I'm ready to be a Yankee? Yeah, it was cash, um, you know, because, you know, I, I, I talked about it earlier on my my podcast with uh, Francisco Lindor. Um, you know, I had come from from clubhouse culture where, the clubhouse culture mattered more than actually wins and losses on the field. So coming from Cleveland and coming from Milwaukee where I had experienced great clubhouse culture, and then you hear the stories about, you know, how messed up the clubhouse was in New York, I wanted no part of it. And, and you know, but Cash came coming to my house and convincing me that, you know, he wanted me to be a part of changing the clubhouse culture, um, you know, which, which, that's what kind of led me to signing. And then, you know, him letting me know that he was going to sign AJ. I knew what type of guy Swish was. He had already got traded there. So, um, you know, him kind of, you know, letting me know that he wanted me to change the clubhouse culture is what put me over the top and, and uh, you know, make, made me make the decision to come here for sure. And that 2009 season, CeCe, you nailed it, bro. I mean, the team before that, listen, they had star players, but they were stale. It seemed like there was something missing. You come in, you got a ton of personality. Burnett's pieing people in the face. Swish doing God knows what out in right field. And I remember watching that summer, CeCe, and I'm like, the Yankees are fun again. Like, the, you got to take a lot of pride in, bro, the idea that you guys came in, made the team fun, the team got really good. And CeCe, look now, bro, that 2009 title for us Yankee fans that grew up with, like, Andy and Jeet and Mo and all those guys, if it wasn't for your team in 09, bro, we'll look at it like 20 plus years without the Yankees <laughs> winning a title. That's crazy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and and be able to, to for me to be able to win a, a championship with those guys, that core, you know, that core four with Andy and and Mo and G, um, you know, to be able to be a part of 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 them winning their lat their fifth one, um, is special to me. And and you know, having a chance to win here in New York, it's, it was it was great. First year, um, you know, the stadium. Um, like you said, we were pieing people and felt like we had to walk off every night. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, and and I think, you know, it 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 totally you know flipped the clubhouse and 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 what you see now and you know the clubhouse culture is is great now and it has been for years and and it started with that team in '09 for sure. You see any similarities with your '09 team and what the current group of guys are going through right now? Because listen, for you. You came in 09. They had this established group, Jeter, A-Rod, Mariano. This team's a little different. You were around them when they were coming of age. But now that pressure, CeCe, let's be honest, bro. 
it's mounting for these guys, for Judd, for Glaber, for Gary. It's Yankee land, bro. They got to win. You see any similarities from that group in 09 to this group right now, or you think it's kind of drastically different? No, nah, it's not. I don't see any at all. But I do see a lot of similarities in this team, um, you know, this Yankees team and, and kind of watching these young stars come into their own of some of the, the Indian teams that I played on, especially the 07 team, that team that we probably should have won the World Series. And um, we ended up getting up 3-1 in Boston and ALCS. Ended up losing that series, and they they went on to win the World Series. They beat Colorado, but um, just watching the way everybody's careers have kind of you know taken shape, and and you know I feel like everybody's kind of ready to take that next step collectively. And you know I was on that team in '07, and you know we kind of came up together, and then we just took that next step collectively, and and you know that that was that push of the ALCS. I think this team. Um, has been through everything. They played in every type of game. They played in one-game eliminations. They played in game sevens. They played in game five in Cleveland in 2017. This team is seasoned. So literally their next step is to win the World Series. There is no there is no really in-between. You know what I'm saying? Like their next step, the maturation of, of this group of players is their next step is to win. And, and you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal. And hopefully that can happen this year in 2021. You were great playoff performer 09 you win the alcs mvp uh i remember that day game against the orioles season on the line they weren't touching you that day bro you were unhittable but you go back early in your career specifically 07 the year you dominated for the indians won the cy young didn't have a great postseason did that fuel you like in 08 we get it bro you had you had nothing left it's okay man you were pitching every you know third day they throw you out there in a playoff game against the world champion Phillies. Bro, no, nobody's getting outs in that spot. Yeah. But did the failures for you in 07 kind of fuel the, you know, playoff performer that CC Sabathia was about to become? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, for sure. Um, you know, the when I play when I pitched in the playoffs in 07, that had been my second, that would have that was my second time in the playoffs. My first time was 01. I was so young that it really didn't even matter. So you know, having my first time pitching the playoffs, me being the ace, you know, I just I feel like I just put too much pressure on myself. But, um, you know, having having a chance to go through that, you know, uh, is really what set me up to have that great playoff run in 09 and really what set me up to be a good playoff pitcher here. Um, and having those, you know, that that those playoff starts that I did in 2012, you know, um, 10, 11, and, and, and even in 09, um, those were definitely direct. Uh, effects of me pitching, you know, horribly in 2007 playoffs. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I had to go through the failures to get to, you know, the other side of, of what Yankee fans saw was, you know, a polished playoff pitcher. CC, take me through that 2013-2015 period. And we all watched it in the HBO documentary. It was powerful, powerful stuff. You're as good as it gets, man. You were as good a free agent signing. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. That's, you know, God's honest truth. You talk great Yankee playoff, you know, Yankee free agent signings. You're there. It's Reggie, it's CC, it's Tex, whatever. And then 13, 14, you know, a lot of wear and tear on the arms. Obviously, you're going through what you went through. Was the end of that 15th season, was it like getting through, you know, your personal demons, getting through what you needed to get through? Almost once you were able to do it, once you were able to get clean, did it kind of like take the weight off your shoulders when you're not thinking about baseball anymore at that point? You know what I mean, CC? Like your wife, your family, all of these stuff are coming, you know, they're coming into perspective. You're putting it into perspective. 16, though, you come back and you pitch great. I remember the Yankees didn't have a great year, but you bounced back. And I was like, this guy might have reinvented himself here. So for you mentally, how important was that? Yeah, that was important. Um, you know, I was 13 through 15. I dealt with some injuries. Um you know, and obviously I was going through things battling on and off the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, being able to go to rehab, get my mind clear and then and then know that the Yankees have my back. You know, the organization top to bottom, um, you know, from the Steinbrenner family to Brian Cashman to, you know, everybody that works in the building, you know, Steve Donahue, um, Mike Shuck, you know, everybody had my back um, and, and aiding me and coming back. So, um, yeah, I was able to, to you know, kind of flip the page, uh, come back in 16 be ready to go. And then really um, by the end of 16 is when I kind of really, really found my cutter and found my footing with the backdoor slider. And 
Um, you know, 17, 18, and 19 is, you know, 17 is probably my best out of those three years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely being able to to go to rehab, figure everything out, and then have Andy and Mo um, to really help me figure out the cutter um, definitely extended my career for sure. Well, CC Andy was my favorite lefty, and then you came along, bro. So <laughs> I see – listen, I thought it was awesome – the way you got that cutter going and the way you were able to reinvent yourself as a pitcher. So was he in many ways, I know he's a teammate. I know he's a buddy of yours. Was he almost like inspiration for when you came back in that 17 season where it was like, man, I was the ace of the staff. And now I'm kind of like the Andy Pettit's team. Like it's kind of cool for you, right? Like to see it in many ways kind of come full circle with the Yankees. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, even, you know, in 17 playoffs, if, you know, getting down to, you know, the games that were, you know, need to be pitched in, in, you know, the biggest spots, I was pitching in those spots, you know, it was game five in Cleveland and then, you know, game three back at home against, against uh, the Astros and then game seven, you know, in 2009, I was the ace of the staff. Nobody could argue that, but Andy was our most important pitcher. Andy pitched all the games, every elimination game. You know, he 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 was on the mound. So, and there was no better guy to have out there. So, yeah, I mean, I I I definitely felt um, as if I turned into him. You know, later in my career, and you know, but having that relationship with him and and being able to be as close as I am with him um, helped me. You know, find you know find that my, my second career, if that makes sense. You know, the 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 back end of my career, being able to still get out. Well, watching you with those teams towards the end, it was obvious, bro. Everybody, like, gravitates to you. You're one of those guys, whether it was Judge, whether it's Gordy, whether it's, you know, Gary behind the plate or younger pitchers. That idea of being a leader, obviously, it doesn't happen overnight. Was there one guy, CC, over time that you kind of looked up to when you were in a big league clubhouse where you're like, man, I want to be like him? Um, Yeah, I mean... The, the the guy that I always looked to when I was younger was Ellis Burks. Um, you know, the way he could, you know, work a clubhouse, the way he was, you know, friends with all the different guys, whether it was the white guys, Latino guys, the black guys, like he brought everybody together. You know, he could go to dinner and it could be seven different guys, you know, together, you know, hanging out at, at dinner. And that that type of stuff really didn't happen on baseball teams um back then. But but he was he was, you know, that glue that could bring everybody together. And I always thought you know, if I could be like that, then, um, you know, that's a pretty good teammate. And, and you know, I, I feel like I was able to turn into that later in my career where I could grab anybody in the clubhouse and, and go to dinner, go to a basketball game and, you know, just bring different people together. Um, and, and, you know, I, I definitely got that from Ellis for sure. I got to know because I always loved it. And, you know, it was Yankee Red Sox rivalry. The whole Jackie Bradley Jr. thing with the bumping. I used to love it, CC, when you would give him all sorts of shit. You'd be yelling at him. You'd be screaming at him. I don't know if I enjoyed that more or you plunking the guy in Tampa and screaming at him. That's for you, bitch. <laughs> if like, so, you know, I'm on the team. I'm like, this guy's got my back. This guy is going to run through a brick wall for anybody that's in that clubhouse. What situation did you take like more pleasure in? Is it yelling at the guy on Tampa or is it giving Jackie Bradley a little bit of grief? Um... I probably probably the Tampa uh, incident. Um, oddly enough, Jackie never tried to butt on me. Um, that was always like Mookie and um, it was the Red Sox. Though. Mooney, I think it, right. it was the yeah, Red Sox. It, it was definitely it was the Red Sox. I, CC, um, listen, when it's peak Yankee Red Sox, man, you yeah. remember big CC on the mound pitching great, and then giving him all sorts of shit afterwards. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome, sure. man. Um, but but uh, Tampa just goes back to being a good teammate. You know what I mean? Um, you know, they had kind of threw at us for no reason, really. Um, you know, Roe had a couple of concussions and, um, you know, I just, you know, it was just the right thing to do. And 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 I knew that I was retiring soon. Um, and, and I know the impression that that made on, you know, the Severinos and the different guys that were in that clubhouse. So, yeah, I mean, I did it for a couple of different reasons, but but, you know, the main reason being to stick up for my teammate for sure. You still surprised that Gordy? Is still churning, man. I love watching him play. He's all heart. I mean, it's crazy that he goes from being like this under-the-radar Yankees, the fourth outfielder on your championship team, and he's been there now basically a decade plus. What has Brett Gardner meant to you? Man, he's he's great. And, and you know, Gardy's one of the toughest people I've ever met. And I think that's that's what, you know, allows him to still be around. 
is his availability. You know, when everybody goes down and people are hurt and, you know, it's the dog days of the season, Guardy's going to be out there every day, playing left field, ready to go, leading off, hitting ninth, whatever you need him to do. So Guardy's just a gamer, like in every sense of the word. And, and you know, he's getting up there in age and, you know, but it still doesn't matter. You know, he goes out there every single day, um, not feeling well, but he's going to go out there and play really, really hard every night. And, you know, I think that's just, just sets a great example for the guys that are in there. So, you know, I always want a guy like that around. And, you know, I was happy that Jay Bruce got a chance to make the team because he's one of those same guys that, you know, they're going to go out there no matter what, no matter how they're feeling um, and, and show up. And I think that's, that's you know, uh, the key to being a big leaguer is being available. And, and Guardy's made a career on being available. That guy's, you know, probably shouldn't have probably shouldn't have played five years in the big leagues, you know. But now we're coming up on thirteen because he's been available and he's tough as hell. You're a guy that played with so many of these Yankees. I mean, it feels like yesterday, CC. You were on the mound that final game against the Astros, like blood guts. They're like, will, you're willing to trying to stay on the mound, but yet you're still so engaged. I know you're working with Ryan and you're doing the podcast and you're having great guys on all the time. But it seems like, bro, you can't take the Yankee pinstripes out of you, man. Like, I feel like you are still in many ways as big a part of the team as you were a couple of years ago, man. I feel like you're like the, even though you're not there, even though you're not pitching, it feels like, yeah, CeCe's still a Yankee. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's that's every Yankee. I mean, if, if you look at, you know, spring training, you get on the spring training and you got Gator and, you know, when I was young, when I was, when I first got here, it'd be Goose and it'd be, you know, uh, Mickey Rivers and all these different guys. So, you know, the part, uh, uh, the, the the best part of being a Yankee is that you're always a Yankee. You know, you put those pinstripes on and, and you're always a part of it. And when you win a championship here, forget about it. You know what I mean? So um, being able to have a chance to to still be close to those guys. I mean, yeah, I, I'm still close to all those guys because, I, you know, they all like my little brothers. I went to dinner with Aaron Hicks the other day. You know, he comes over to the house and, you know, I, you know, he's close to my kids and my family. Like he gives my he giving you golf tips while you're at it too. Always CC? giving my giving son, always giving me golf go. tips. We were in a simulator down here the other day, so um, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I'm just super close. These guys are my teammates. You know what I mean? So um, you know, me being still here, being in, in town, uh, I, I think I'll, I'll naturally just be closer to those guys, just because you know Mo's a special assistant too. But Mo didn't play with none of these guys. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't share a field with Aaron Judge or you know, Giancarlo or, or Hicksy, you know, I play with these guys. So um, I, I'm still a, a much, a, a big part of their lives and, 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 and friends with these guys um, more than ever, for sure. CC, when I was doing radio for nine years, man, Gary Sanchez is one of the more like polarizing lightning rod topics that you could bring up on radio. Cause listen, he's got all the talent in the world, but then you see a year like last year and you're trying to figure out, well, why hasn't this guy put it all together? He's off to a great start this year. But for you specifically, you threw to him and you threw to him, bro, when he was the Gary Sanchez that was this, you know, phenom. He's this stud. Why hasn't he put it together in the way that he did those first years? Have you noticed anything? Is it too no, full I, happy? I'm not even trying I'm, to do too I, much. I, I'm going to just like, at, like for Yankee fans, I, I think that you guys got a too big of an expectations for him. Like he came up, he had 20 homers in two months. And then you guys thought he was going to be hit 60 homers every year. You know what I'm saying? Like he's still young in his career. You know, he's five, six years in um, and he's trying to catch a big league staff and we're trying to win a World Series. So it's it's harsh, a lot of pressure on Gary to to go out and call a great game and then go out and hit two homers every game. like. It's just impossible for him to, to please everybody. Um, for me and his teammates, we see how hard that guy works and, you know, what he puts into it and how much he cares. So it's hard for us to ever get on him. You know, no, you, you never hear his teammates or anybody say a bad word about him because we know the, the work that he puts in and, and how hard it is to catch in the big leagues and still try to go out and expect everybody – everybody expects you to hit 330 with 30 homers. You know what I'm saying? So um, I think the biggest thing for Gary, man, is just – is is killing all that noise and, and not worrying about anything and you know good or bad game flip the page and go out to the next day good or bad game flip the page go out to the next day it's just always flipping the page and going out to the next day i think sometimes he lets you know bad things linger or a bad inning linger or if he called a slider and it got hit out you know he lets that linger so the hardest part about being a big leaguer i think is is uh flipping the page and and you know erasing that last day and 
Um, I think that's the thing that he struggles with the most. And, and, he, and he lets it linger and go on, go on. And it turns in, you know, one bad game could turn into two bad weeks. We know they got an ace in the staff. You know, you passed the torch nicely, bro. Derek Cole, he's got that covered, no doubt. CC, you know pitching. You did it for a long time. Who's the guy, in your opinion, has got the best chance to be that number two? Is it Monty? Is it Kluber? Is it Tyon? Is there one guy you're looking at that's going to be that 1A for the Yankees this year? I, I hope it's Herman, and I think it can be. Um, obviously, um, you know, he's, he's, you know, got some things that he had to clean up off the field. Um, you know, it seems like he's doing – he's on the right track. I have not been around, you know, a lot. Obviously, the team just got back, so I haven't had a chance to spend some time with him yet. But, um, you know, he's so good, and, and, and if he can lock in and if he can be good, um, you know, off the field, you know, he, he can be, be such a big difference maker for us. Um, and especially if we get into the playoffs and, you know, say he gets his innings limit, you can put him in the bullpen. He can be a bridge guy. Um, you know, because he can get righties and lefties out. So um, I think that – I honestly think he that he was the missing key for us in, in 19. You know, I think if we have him in 19 at the end of the year, we might have a better playoff. So um, I think he could be the number two. And then and then you have, you know, Kluber and Monty step up to be the, the, be the third guy until Severino gets back. I think we're in pretty good shape. Dude, you were so close to having that storybook ending, man. I mean, you almost did. I mean, and in some ways, CeCe – I think your ending makes you even more of like a cult hero, bro. You know, <laughs> like the idea that New Yorkers like guys who leave it all out on the line. And you, that game four against the Astros, man. I remember watching that and I'm like, this guy's giving it everything he's got. His legs, his arms, everything's falling apart. But he wanted to be out on the mound. Losing that game to the Astros. And I remember I couldn't sleep, bro. I didn't play for the team and I'm up till seven in the morning. It made me sick. Was that the toughest loss? you were ever a part of in all your years in baseball? No. Um, I think the 17 loss. And I think if you talk to anybody oh, really? on that team okay. um, in 2017, um, after game seven, uh, ALCS, I think that was probably the toughest loss for anybody. Um, just because of where we had came from, you know, winning the wild card, being down 2-0 um, in Cleveland and coming back and winning that series, being down 2-0, then winning three straight here in the Bronx. Um, it just felt like, you know, we were on our on our way to to heading to L.A. for that World Series and, you know, to have it swept up under us, I think, swept from up under us, I think that, that was the toughest one, I think, for everybody. And, and that's why I say this group, this that that team that lost to 17 is the same team that's playing in Yankee Stadium right now. It's the same core. So these guys, have they've, they've experienced heartache and heartbreak and, you know, they've had the ups and the downs. And that's why I said the, the their next step, it's literally, you know, that parade. So um, that's what I look for at the end of this year. Okay, then, CeCe. How did they get to that parade? If this team's winning a World Series this year, and you nailed it, bro. You were there. They're super, super close. They're super talented. I think they're the best team in the American League. What, in your eyes, what, in your opinion, puts them over the top this year to go and win a World Series? I think just health. I think they just need to stay healthy. Um, that's been the biggest, you know, thing that we've dealt with since 2017 you know, 18 and 19, you know, and 20 uh, is being injuries. Um, and, and guys have stepped up and done a great job, whether it's, you know, Mike Tockman or Luke Voigt or even uh, Gio Urshela. People forget that he came in in a situation where Miggy got hurt and he stepped up. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where guys need to stay healthy. I need 155 games from Judge. I need, you know, you know 500 backs from Big G. I need... You know, Hicksy out in the outfield, you know, for 155. So um, if these guys stay healthy, I think they got they have a really, really good chance of, of, of uh, getting that parade. Well, Big CC, I've been a big fan for a long time. I don't know if you can see it, but your uh, your Jedi bobblehead man is a part <laughs> nice. of the Zoom setup, Ringer setup, TV setup, man. So we always have rooted Big CC in more ways than one. Before we get you out of here, bro, and I know you're a rock star, you have this Hall of Fame career. And by the way, Monument Park and Hall of Fame. I know. I don't know how you feel talking about that. That's happening. Are you, are you do you think about that at all? Or no, not really. No, nah, I, I don't. Um, really? I think it's I think happening. About, Cece, I'll, yeah. I'll save you the trouble, bro. It's happening, man. You're gonna <laughs> be a so. Hall of Famer, and I'm gonna see 52 when I have little ones. I'm gonna be like, you know, this guy was my first guest on podcast number one, and he's the man, and he's the dude. Really, that. You don't think about that stuff. No, nah, I haven't. I mean, I always, you know, um, Jeter's going to the Hall of Fame this year. He's like, he's the, he's my big brother. So 
you know, maybe I'll think about it when I'm up there with, you know, his celebration or, you know, if, you know, some of my other friends start to go in and think about it. But now, nah, I mean, you know, it's just it's kind of out of my hands, you know what I mean? So it's not for really me for me to worry about it. You know, now it's up for the writers. You know, I did everything I could do in my 19 year career. I left it all out there. And, you know, hopefully one day they, they think I'm good enough to get into the Hall of Fame. And what do you want more to be a scratch handicap golfer? Or the Raiders to win a Super Bowl. I only give you one. You got enough. Oh no, life. Raiders Super Bowl for sure. Raiders. Wow. <laughs> and you're a big CC. You're a big golf guy now. I love yeah. it, man. Raiders but it's Raiders. Super Bowl. I'm with you. Golf and Super Bowl for me. Listen, first guest for New York, New York. We had to knock it out of the park. The host of R2C2 with Ryan Rucco and one of my favorite Yankees. CC, thanks, man. No problem, folks. I'm not gonna lie. I was super geeked out on Friday when I did the podcast with CC and Francisco Lindor. Like, that was, in many ways, bucket list type stuff for me, in all seriousness. That's one of my favorite Yankees. Cool dude. Pleasure to have on the show. And listen, in this day and age, where nobody is throwing crazy innings, and nobody is going to get to 250 and 260 and 270 wins, you mark my words. CC Sabati is going to be a Hall of Famer. I am fairly confident in saying that. Like, if I had a wager on it, I would put a sizable amount that we will, at some point, be able to go to Cooperstown and see that, like, straight-brim Yankee hat and CC, who's been a great ambassador on and off the field, doing his thing. Now, it is now time for what is going to be, I think, my favorite part of New York, New York, show after show. Because... I'm coming from a place where I feed off of your energy. I feed off of your craziness, your zaniness. It might make me a little crazy in the process. And by the way, in case anybody's wondering, how do I get in touch with JJ? How do I get in touch with New York, New York? It's very simple. 917-382-1151. That is our voicemail setup. Leave it short and sweet. Get right to it. And we let it rip. We have some fun and away we go. So I am very excited to see what you guys and gals have in store for yours truly. So without further ado, Saruti, what do we got leading off, baby? Hey, John, this is Danny Heifetz from The Ringer Man. Congrats on the new show. I'll give you a question of thought and a rant. I want to know who you think the Giants should take in the first round of the draft. I, it's got to be offensive line. Gettleman's got to get some hog mollies. Like, they spent all this money on Galladay. They spent all this money on cornerback, Dory Jackson, Leonard Wood. They need offensive line. Like, I don't know why they're still sticking with Daniel Jones, but if you're going to do it, you've got to do it right. you got to let the kid throw. Don't they just need to take whatever tackle is left at, with this pick? Let me know what you think, man. Happy to have you aboard, dude. Whoa, that's our dude Danny Heifetz from The Ringer. How about that, Danny? The first ever participant in the New York, New York voicemail hotline. My man. Now, Danny, I just wish your take on the New York Giants was a little better there. I love you, bro, but just saying. I think he's totally off base, though, when it comes to what the Giants should do in the first round of the draft. Because in my opinion, the Giant offense is not dynamic enough. And how many investments in first-round offensive linemen or second-round offensive linemen are you going to make? They went and they drafted Will Hernandez. They went and they drafted Andrew Thomas. They went and paid Nate Solder a ton of money coming over from the New England Patriots. Gentleman hasn't gotten it right. And listen, you can never have enough good offensive linemen. Go get another playmaker. Yeah, they signed Kenny Galladay. But what if Devontae Smith is there? What if Jalen Waddle is there? I don't think Kyle Pitts will be there. I don't think Jamar Chase will be there. I got no problem if the Giants go and take another playmaker. That's personally the way I'm trying to set it up for Daniel Jones. Let's make this offense as dynamic as humanly possible. And there's no getting around this, folks. It's make or break time in the third year for Daniel Jones. If you don't know by the end of this year, if you're kind of uncertain whether or not he's your quarterback, you don't got the right guy. Let's hear number two. JJ. Listen, the Jets, they got Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas feels like the right guy. They got Sala. Sala, you know, he seems like a guy who's genuinely smart. He seems like he can actually create a good culture. They've built up the defensive line. 
and that's how they're going to run their defense from there on out. They've got LaFleur, who comes from the Shanahan system, and now they're getting Zach Wilson. This seems like a legit core. Do you think that the Jets are actually going to turn it around this time? Or in three or four years, are we going to be in the exact same position that we are right now? It's a loaded question right there. Impossible to know what kind of coach Robert Sala is going to be. Now, everybody loves him. And let me make it perfectly clear. I thought it was a terrific hire. Because after the Jets got through the debacle and the embarrassment of the Adam Gaze regime, they needed a leader of men. Point blank. They needed a leader of men. Robert Sala, you watch him pounding his chest, hooting and hollering, that bald, shiny head on the sideline. Like, that's a guy I'm like, man, I run through a brick wall for that dude. From that standpoint, the Jets needed somebody like that who hopefully is going to, for them, change the culture and what's been a losing, embarrassing, pathetic culture for like the last nine years. Wilson has got to be the picket too. I can't stress that enough. Where the Jets are as a franchise, new coach, second pick, rookie contract, the way the NFL sets up, what advantage do the Jets have sticking with Sam Darnold? Sam Darnold, to me, is the guy that's got to go somewhere else in order to have success. Go to the Steelers. Go to the Broncos. Go here. Go there. Maybe it works out. Hey, Ryan Tannehill had success leaving the Miami Dolphins. Maybe it was Adam Gase. But I don't see Sam Darnold and the New York Jets having a happily ever after type of ending. So I I can't tell you with certainty if the Jets in three years are going to be a viable franchise. But hey, got to start somewhere. All right, number three. JJ, big fan. Congrats on the new gig. Just uh, please try to answer one question for me. Why in the world does Aaron Hicks hit third for the New York Yankees? Obviously, don't mind Hicks in the lineup. He plays great defense in center field. But I want to see him hitting either eighth or ninth in the Yankees lineup. He leaves the, leaves the bat on his shoulders way too much, strikes out way too much. He should not be in the heart of the order. It's time to move Glaver up the spot and move Clint up from the back of the order to about fifth or sixth in the lineup. Let me know your thoughts. Congrats on the new show and good luck in the future. Appreciate those kind words. Um, we're going to set this up, by the way, the next time we do it, where you guys give your name. Because I, I like to make it personal. And now I got to kind of play the guessing game of who's who from my old uh, family in JJ after Darkland. Um, but a good question and an excellent point. Aaron Hicks should not be hitting third in the Yankee order. I don't want to hear about lefty-righty. Your best hitter should hit at the top of the order. And when the Yankees were playing in the ALCS in 2019, it was LeMayu, it was Judge, it was Torres. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. That should be the lineup. Now, Hicks is going to hit in the middle of the order because you don't want to have too many of the same type of hitters back next to one another. Like, Stanton and Judge hitting behind one another is stupid. It's just stupid. They're the exact same type of hitter. I want to kind of challenge a pitcher and saying, all right, you got this bopper here. You got this type of hitter here. You got another bopper here. Got to mix it up. But the Yankees have a whole lot of the same sort of hitter. And that to me is the flaw and the problem with the way this lineup has been constructed. What's next? JJ, I just want to talk about Thibs, man. He's driving me crazy with like the rigidness of his rotations, you know? I can't stand uh, just seeing Alfred Payton out there breaking another layup at the end of games, and we need some creativity on offense with a guy like IQ just glued to the bench. So I just wanted uh, to get your take on, is this like really his fatal flaw here, you know, sticking with his guys no matter what, and also like running them into the ground, you know, minutes-wise. So good luck the rest of the way, brother. I appreciate that. And look, what you see is what you get with a Tom Thibodeau coach team. And the Knicks needed that sort of structure. They needed a face of the franchise that wasn't going to be a star player. Because listen, the last two decades, star players have spit in the face of wanting to be a part of the Knicks because the culture has sucked. The ownership situation has been a nightmare. Got to give Dolan credit for the fact he has stayed out of the way and has allowed Leon Rose and has allowed Tom Thibodeau to go and work their magic. Randall has been a monster. He's probably one of the leading candidates for most improved player in the league. He's a stud. Do you notice a little wear and tear and a little fatigue? That's why Saturday's win 
And seeing Randall going beast was so, so important. Look, Tibbs is going to trust his guys. I've always been screaming for more Emmanuel quickly. Tibbs normally doesn't like playing rookies at all. It's just, it's not his way. Been all in all a good year for the Knicks. But I think with any of these, you know, type of pipe dreams you may have, put them in the perspective. Even if Tibbs is playing more guys, let's be real. There is a limited, very limited shelf life for what this team can achieve. Because the talent's not there. That's why it's been a fun year throughout, because they play hard. They give a rat you know what, and they take it from there. All right, what's next? JJ, after dark, congrats. Congrats on the big power move. Welcome to the ringer. My rant is how do the Nationals get away with this garbage? They have like four guys on quarantine. Pull up the minor leaguers. We lost the whole series. Now we got to play these doubleheaders against them. The Mets got a raw deal on this. I know you're a big Yankee fan, whatever. The Mets got a raw deal on this. Major League Baseball is a scam, okay? There's no reason why these games shouldn't have got played. You pull up your taxi squad, guys. You play the games. Whoa. That's a loaded one right there. And I know I'm going to come at this for this particular gentleman. He's not going to like my narrative, and he's not going to like the way I'm handling it. It is what it is, bro. I mean, this is not a Met National type deal. They are wiping out games like crazy. They don't want to have an outbreak here a week or two weeks into the year. Hopefully, we'll get to a point where these players are vaccinated. We're not, like, sweating out whether or not games are going to be canceled. And we can allow the sports to kind of flow and go as is. But, look, shit happens with this stuff. I mean, really, there's no other way to look at it except it's a tough break. It's a bad break. But over 162 games, you're going to have some sort of adversity. Come on. Get a grip. What's next? JJ, it's Anthony and Syosset. Listen, I think this minus four and a half line I'm seeing right now in the national championship game is an overreaction to the way that the Zags played against UCLA. They've been double-digit favorites the entire tournament. They've been blowing team outs. I'm not disrespecting Baylor here, but you said it on Twitter, JJ. I think this was the big test that everybody expected the Zags to have. They passed it, and now they come out a little loosey-goosey in the title game. Uh, four and a half, Lane, give it to me. I'll take the Zags. I want your thoughts. That is the great Anthony Insiasset, one of my favorite JJ After Dark callers, and now making his way to the Ringer Podcast Network. And Anthony, the good news for you is that our pick for the title game, you're going to hear it momentarily. I am going to save that sucker for you. It is going to be a perfect way for us to segue into what we do next, but I cannot spoil that. What I will say is this. Gonzaga is a team that has passed every test this year. We wanted to see how Gonzaga would respond in a tight game, in a pressurized situation where they had to make big plays, where they weren't beating the living daylights out of somebody. And I think we saw how they responded. One final voicemail. And by the way, these have been absolutely terrific. Very, very good. All right, let's hear it. JJ, I'm happy you're on the ringer. It's Matt God. Happy for you, buddy. Out of that bubble network. That disgrace. I just got to say, I'm, I'm unhappy with Aaron Judge. Judge, get your fucking head out of your ass. Let's go. Enough's enough, Judge. Terry Sanchez is hitting the rest of this team is doing what they got to do. Stop being a fucking clown. Let's go, Yankees. I love that Matt in Stanford, who is one of my fan regulars, now can go uncensored because if he gave us that sort of call on terrestrial radio, uh, I think I'd be fired or I'd be being called into my old program director's office. I think Cherny would be in my ear saying, what are you doing letting this guy on the radio? Are you an idiot? Are you stupid? How can you do such a thing? Now Matt can let it rip. Now I am not going to get as uncensored as Matty did. I actually did though. I mean, if we're being fair, I, Got to throw a couple F-bombs out there. It's not too bad. Uh, Judge is going to be fine. But here's the question with Aaron Judge. It's all about durability. You want to get paid a seven or an eight-year contract. I mean, he's not getting 10 years like Lindor because his age is not going to set up for him to go and get a 10-year contract. His injury history over the last few years is not going to set up for that same sort of deal. But he's coming up on free agency. And I love the guy. He is the face of the Yankees. They got that judge's chamber in right field. He is their most marketable player by a mile. 
And I'm actually surprised he got his teeth fixed. Full disclosure. Like, you know how the gap for Michael Strahan kind of became like his badge of honor? I thought if I were Aaron Judge, I would have kept that gap, man. Listen, I'm Aaron freaking Judge. Why do I got to get my teeth fixed? The hell with that. But he did. He's got to stay on the field. He'll get paid if he produces. Because the Yankees know he means that much more to them than just on-field stuff. I want him to be a Yankee for life. He'll hit. Just stay on the field. Coming up next, we'll close with a bang. Our picks, our plays from Monday night's national championship game, New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am super fired up because my last radio, Odds On Sportscast, is now my first ever New York, New York gambling guest. It comes full circle with my main man, in many ways, my partner in crime in trying to handicap the NFL and college basketball and taking names and kicking ass. Jared Smith, Sports Grid. Welcome to New York, New York, brother. How you doing, man? I love it, bro. We got the backdrop ready to go. I, I got you a little World Trade Center in the background. And it, it's New York, New York. But also, this is a city about money, JJ. And that's the goal whenever I, whenever you and I link up. That's always the goal. How we can make some money. Amen to that, my friend. And it was a profitable weekend for us. Uh, I had Jared on. We talked about Baylor and Houston. I was all over Baylor. I ended up firing on UCLA. I mean, Smitty, that has got to be, bro. From just like a pendulum swing, you have UCLA oh. on the money line, bro. Can oh. you can you imagine what you're thinking? Like, let me put you in the shoes of someone who had a UCLA money line bet. Are you thinking about hedging that maybe halfway through the game? How would you have played that? No, I mean, listen, I think especially if it's a one-game scenario and you feel like you're in the game. I mean, I think UCLA, if you play that game out 100 times, I mean, I, I do think UCLA probably wins it, you know, maybe 30, 40, maybe 50 times. I mean, that game was right on the nice edge throughout. And what were you getting, 8-1, to 9-1 to one in some spots? I mean, there was a juicy number. I felt pretty good uh, about that bet. Yeah, maybe in, in the overtime, if you wanted to come off a little bit on Gonzaga, you got to overtime, take a little slice of the Zags, but no, nah, eight, eight, nine to one. You got to let that sucker ride. UCLA was a live dog all night long. Correct me if I'm wrong. The Gonzaga Baylor line before the game got bagged because of COVID. Mm. Was it? I feel like it was Ooh, higher than four question. and a half, wasn't it? Do you yeah, remember? It I don't even remember. Was. I think it was higher than this number. So yeah. let's start with this number then. Why has this line, in your opinion, gone from five and a half to four and a half? Is it because uh, Baylor looks so dominant against Houston? Is it because Gonzaga looked maybe vulnerable against UCLA? I figured you'd have people rushing to go back Gonzaga after that game. And Spinney, it really hasn't been the case. No, I, I actually, the tickets are pretty split. I think I saw maybe just slight 53, 55% on Gonzaga. So, I mean, it, it's pretty split down the middle. Um, you might get some late Gonzaga money, but I definitely think it was Baylor's performance. And, and listen, I think Houston maybe was a little bit of a paper tiger in that spot. So, you know, Baylor's win over Houston maybe on paper looked really good, but when you really get into the crux of what Houston was, it was a bad matchup uh, against that Baylor team, whereas the UCLA matchup against Gonzaga was a good matchup. You had, you know, some some wing players for UCLA that really uh, disrupted Gonzaga's flow defensively. Now, Gonzaga's really struggled defensively all year. I, I think the match, I mean, I'll tell you what, you can't make the total high enough for this game on Monday night. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a free-flowing game, and I think both teams are going to be really aggressive, but I think Baylor deserves to be the underdog I'm not surprised the number came off of the five and a half. Five tends to be that key number. You get a good performance like that. Sometimes you see it cross through. And you know, Smitty, how many future tickets right now are riding oh. on Gonzaga from eight to one at the beginning of the year to three to yeah. one to 160 before the tournament. The books are going to be huge fans of the Baylor Bears on Monday night. I don't think there's any question. No doubt. And, and and I think that's another reason why you probably had that number come off a little bit. Uh, you probably saw some people say, hey, listen, we might be able to kind of entice some people to think that Baylor might be the steamy side here if we start moving this number down. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's all about exposure at the end of the day. The books are exposed to Baylor, too. I mean, I think Michigan was the worst result for the book. I think Gonzaga and Baylor were certainly up up in the top five worst results for the books uh, in terms of the futures market. I think I heard from uh, our guy over at FanDuel that uh, every result 
left in the elite eight was a bad negative result for the book. And that's just the, the nature of the futures market uh, when you get some of these long shot teams that do make it in. But I think Gonzaga, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of money changing hands on Monday night with that futures market. Okay, Smitty, I've thought about this game. I've been like toying on how I'm going to play it. Here's <laughs> what I keep coming back to. Gonzaga has been waiting for this moment for forever as a school. Forever. They win the way that they did on Saturday night. That is a game they should have lost. UCLA played the perfect game, still didn't beat them. I know the line movement tells me Baylor. I know a lot of the sharp guys are coming in on Baylor. Smitty, I can't do it, man. At the end of the day, after sleeping on it, I just think it's Gonzaga's time. I think it's Gonzaga's moment. I would feel better about taking Gonzaga on the money line and laying a couple extra shekels. That said, I think Gonzaga wins, and I'm going to say Gonzaga covers. I, I agree. I'm definitely, I, I think that was the moment. I, I think Gonzaga had their moment. And I think they're going to be a little more relaxed in the championship game. They were definitely tense. There were some tense moments for the Zags late in that game. Uh, if you are holding a Gonzaga futures ticket, and I know a lot of you out there are, I don't think it's a bad bet to come back on Baylor here and take a little bit off the top and say, hey, maybe Baylor plus five. You get a you know rogue five out there right before game time. Maybe you get a close game. Maybe you get a Gonzaga win and a Baylor cover, and you can middle that futures bet. If you have no action at all in the futures market, I definitely think you play Gonzaga. Uh, this is their time. They have been right at this moment so many other times. And I think the Adam Morrison uh, audio from the other day really kind of, you know, Got everything full circle for me after the heartbreak that they've gone through. How about Heartbreak through. City now? Reverse. I know. Heartbreak I know. City it, reverse. It, it, it's karma. And we've had that kind of, it's been that kind of year, JJ, where I think the karma, you know, the basketball gods are smiling on Gonzaga this year. I don't see a world where they don't win this game. Maybe they don't cover the spread, but I don't see a world where they don't win this game. And I got to bet the first half over again. It's hit in four out of the last five wow. Gonzaga games Has in the it tournament. Really? Four at out 75. of five. I might pull that with you now. I feel you gotta play. I gotta it's be gone honest, up a little Smitty, bit. I feel dirty that I missed out on <laughs> such viable and tremendous information. And it's been listen, all in all, would you say for your wallet, good tournament, bad tournament? I'd say good tournament, tournament, man. Tournament. And me too. Well, the futures market too has been tremendous. We've got Suggs on a 10 to 1 most outstanding Ooh, player. Ticket, I like right? that. Yeah. I'm probably going to actually that, that that might be the one thing that I do hedge a little bit. I might take a slice of Timmy because I think his numbers have been warranted and go either way. And they're both 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 guys are basically a pick So I don't have a problem if you have a Suggs to come off it with Timmy a little bit uh, because that's kind of more of a coin flip. But listen, I, I think Gonzaga is winning this game. Baylor, Baylor played their best game of the season, I think, on Saturday night. Gonzaga played really good on Saturday night. They didn't play their best game of the season. I, I think they played their best game of the season on Monday night. And I think, you know, anytime you get a little bit of value on that line, these lines are sharp this time of year. You get a little bit of crossover, that key number of five. Now it's four and a half on Gonzaga. I, I certainly think that's the way to go. I like it. A family play on the Zags. Before we get you <laughs> out of here, because the Masters are coming up this week. Oh, I'm in the lab. You know, I'm trying to figure out who I like. I know Steve had a great weekend. See, he was really going to be, weekend. Smitty, he was going to be my pick. I don't like the idea of taking a guy to win back-to-back weeks because it's almost, it's impossible to do on the PGA Tour. Yeah. You know what I mean, dude? Like, I just don't like the idea of taking that guy. And I don't like taking the guy who wins the players either because nobody, I think, has mm. done it since Tiger. So what do you think about, I'm thinking about a couple of different guys here. What do you think about Fleetwood, number one? And what do you yeah. think about Matsuyama? Uh, Matsuyama's putter always lets him down. It's although fair. the number of 40 to one's not bad. Juicy. I'm looking at some of the numbers now. You know, you always want to, I, I feel like there's a, with the masters as a dividing line, you, you don't play anyone that's really outside of the top 15 or 20, because it's very rare that at the masters with a tournament that you literally have to know every inch of that golf course, that someone kind of comes at, you know, out of nowhere and wins it. I do think it's going to be one of the, let's say top 15 or top 20 favorites. I know that's not exactly going out on a limb, uh, but I don't think we're going to see a long shot win this thing. Listen, Justin Thomas has been playing some pretty good golf over the last month. He hasn't really broken through yet at one of these like really, you know, high octane majors. He hasn't won a masters yet or a U.S. open. Uh, and listen, I mean, I know Dustin Johnson's been kind of in the crapper, but the guys had one of the best seasons in the world. And now we find this is the first major, you know, I know the players championship and there's some other events. I know that are big, but listen, this is really the first time where Dustin Johnson's green jacket's going to be on defense and he's going to be defending those major titles from last year. So I would not put it past him to have a hell of a week. Smitty. I love actually being able to see you now as we have <laughs> some fun in, here on these segments. Smitty got the beautiful <laughs> background, the, the world trade in the back. He's got the Brooklyn bridge, the glasses, 
And he's giving and bringing the heat and the fire with his handicapping skills. And that's why I love you, Smitty. Great minds, bro. Gonzaga over. Let's cash him this week, okay? Let's do it, brother. That's Jared Smith over at Sports Grid making his New York, New York debut. Folks, that's that. The first ever edition of New York, New York is in the books. We'll be back Tuesday night. We'll have reaction to the national championship game. The Mets opening up their season in Philadelphia. Yankees back in action, hopefully with better results against the Orioles. And there'll be some basketball. The Knicks are playing the Nets. I mean, it's a loaded Monday. So I hope that you have your four, three, seven TV set up because you're going to need it. And remember, I want to hear from you on Tuesday. Don't forget the number to call our active listener voicemail line is 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. Follow us on Spotify. Follow me on Twitter, John underscore Jastrzemski. New York, New York in the books. JJ out. Be good, everybody. <laughs>